Welcome to There Are Good Things Here, the podcast where we reflect on the lessons Katie Hubbard learned about living as she was preparing to die. I'm your host, Norman Hubbard, and I never once opened Katie's journals while she was alive. Now I'm opening them up to you so you can discover resources for your faith, refreshing honesty, and unexpected joy for the journey through a painful world with a wonderful God. Well, this week's edition of There Are Good Things Here is coming to you one day late. If you've been following as these podcasts are released, uh, I apologize to you. The simple fact is I miscalculated how many weeks there were in the month of June. But, uh, well, welcome to my world. Uh, I am going to take this opportunity to read you guys something that Katie wrote for a blog that she contributed to for moms who are in vocational ministry or married to those who are in vocational ministry. And uh, this is one of Katie's best pieces of writing. I have to say it was written in 2015. It was actually written uh, in March of 2015. So we're going backwards in time just a bit. Wasn't released until later on, but uh, this is an essay that she wrote called What This Girl Wants. You know how you go to the eye doctor and you look through his big thing with all the lenses and he says, which is more clear, number one or number two? And you go through the so on and so forth until he gets your prescription perfectly correct? That's what I feel like God has been doing with me lately, refining my focus and theology. I think I'm seeing pretty well through lens number one and then click, he shows me lens number two. Oh, that one is more clear. My husband Norman and I find ourselves in a season of life where, because of my health, we are very dependent on other people and not in a position to reciprocate. I've been thinking a lot about helplessness and dependence. It's a particularly unique place to be, receiving with no giving. I wrote about this on my CaringBridge website, and a friend of mine sent me the following email. Here is a little something that really helped me, Katie. Early on, after my husband's diagnosis, obvious feelings of helplessness and being overwhelmed took hold. A friend reminded me of when the Israelites were in battle and Moses was to lift his arms to God. As time went on, he needed help, and so Aaron and Hur helped him with the task to raise his arms. I found a picture on the internet that depicts this wonderfully. It shows the battle in the forefront, and there is Moses with his helpers from God. He was tired physically, and you can see him seated as he carries out his unlikely way to lead Israel into battle. Obedience to God doesn't always come in the ways we expect. Plus, he must have been tired spiritually, and Aaron and Hur undoubtedly encouraged Moses in that way also. This friend wanted to remind me that ours was not a burden to carry alone, that others were there praying, 
lifting up our arms as we try to be obedient to God. Others, as you are experiencing, were coming alongside doing a myriad of things for us, cooking, errands, helping with my parents, tending to my husband's physical needs, etc. One friend even polished shoes for me. That was crazy. I printed this picture and put it on my refrigerator, where it stayed even months after my husband went home. It took away some of the feelings of aloneness that come with this kind of struggle. It gave me encouragement, reminding me to always be thankful for the ones God called to come alongside. So, be encouraged by the outpouring of God's love through others. You and your family are a blessing are blessing others in ways that you don't know. This is just our way of giving a little back. I want to say, by the way, personally to Wendy, thank you so much for sharing that word with Katie at that time and standing with our family for all these years. You cannot know how much it meant to her and how much it means to me. And Katie goes on to write, Click. Things are a little bit more clear. We're not being undeserving lumps. The body of Christ is helping us as God intended. Thank you, friend. I see more clearly now. Facing cancer at age 36, 41, and 42 has made me face death in ways that most people don't until much later in life. Facing death makes you think about your life. Have I done the things that I wanted? Do I have regrets? Are there things that I would still like to accomplish? As I have pondered these questions, one decision stands above them all. I am so thankful that in our mid-twenties, Norman and I followed God's call into vocational ministry. As a 20-something contemplating vocational ministry, you have a lot of questions. Will God provide? Are we crazy? What are we thinking? And for me, there was a lot of looking around at friends living more normal lives and thinking, why can't we do that? For me, too, there was much focus on what we were giving up, a normal life, a steady paycheck, prestige and accomplishments in the secular work world, and most importantly, giving up the ability to describe what you do in one word, realtor, engineer, nurse, professor. Instead, it would be, um, my husband works for an, um, a ministry that uh, works with college students, and it's, it's kind of like being a pastor, but not really. Fast forward 20 years, and I'm living with a terminal cancer diagnosis. I look back on the past two decades, and I say, thank you, God. If my days left here on earth are short, then I am so thankful that I've had the privilege of spending the days that I was given in vocational ministry. I look back and think that there was nothing I would rather have given my life to. James 2 verse 5 says, Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? While we are certainly not poor, as many in this world are, experiencing true poverty, we certainly have had to trust God to provide our daily needs. As a support-raising missionary, I always say we trust God on four different levels. 
One, we need Him to provide the money for our salary through ministry partners month after month, year after year. Second, we need God to provide over and above what our monthly budget is because it's not enough to cover expenses, vehicles, Christmas, clothes, etc. Third, we trust Him to provide for our desires and wants and dreams, a vacation, a new couch, newer technology. And fourth, we trust Him for the expenses that seem totally overwhelming, colleges, weddings, and retirement. That is a lot of faith building, and as we see God provide day after day, year after year, we become more and more rich in faith. Not only do we learn to trust God in the area of material provision, we also need Him to provide all we need to do the work that He has called us to do. I mean, do I naturally love difficult people? No. Can I make spiritually dead people alive? No. Can I convict people of sin? Can I make people attend nav night? Can I share the gospel boldly in my own strength? Make people give to us, overcome temptation on my own? Do I have wisdom to instruct people and see their heart needs? No. Can I do this work day in and day out for years in my own power? No. So, this inability to do God's work in my strength leads me to lean desperately into Him. He does the work. He gives me all I need to the work that He has called me to do. Leaning on Him grows my faith. I become rich in faith. As we have walked Cancer Road three times now, Each time, I have been astonished by the vast outpouring of love, care, concern, prayers, and practical help. It's been as if a tsunami of love has washed over us, many days leaving us staggering with the sheer enormity of it all. As I have watched this unfold, I see the vast network of relationships that God has woven over two decades in vocational ministry. Our students, whom I call my children, are flung all around the globe. Our ministry partners have remained and become lifelong friends. Through support raising, we've remained more connected with friends through various stages of life than people normally do. Through conferences and speaking, we've met amazing people from all walks of life. Through NAV staff, we've met and built relationships with amazing other staff all across the country and around the world. In fact, the other day, I mentioned to Norman that I would love to just randomly show up at other regions, regional meetings, just to get to see people we already know and love and get to know so many more we've never met. That sounds like a lot of fun. By the way, you can tell from that comment that Katie was a true extrovert. She goes on to write, rich in relationships. But I have also found through our years in ministry that there are many voices that distract me from God's call to me. I hear about pastors who have congregations of thousands. I open my Christian magazine and see an article about the top 30 most influential Christians. 
I go to the Christian bookstore and see the big selling books. Wow, I think those people are really doing something. And then I remember that attendance was low at Nav Night last week, and we took a small group to Fall Conference, and only three people went to the summer training program last summer, and I start to mutter and grumble, why are we doing this? Does anybody care? I lose the forest for the trees. And then I find myself in Isaiah 49.6. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Or Psalm 2 verse 8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And then I remember, I want laborers. That's all I want. When all is said and done, if I could leave any legacy, I would want to leave a legacy of laborers, laborers all over the world, bringing the good news of God's salvation not just to the University of Illinois or to Peoria or Chicago, but all over the country, all over the world, to the ends of the earth. I don't want recognition, fame. I don't want the big selling book. I don't want a thousand people at Navanite. I want laborers. And if that means that my little cup of cold water in Jesus' name is one gal right here, right now, then so be it, because that one little gal is, by God's grace, going to grow into an oak of righteousness, and God is going to take her places and do things in her life and bring people across her path that I could never imagine or conceive. Because in God's economy, the poor are rich, the weak are strong, The smallest becomes the mightiest, and he is always saying, it is too small a thing. He's saying, whatever this thing you are asking, praying, desiring, is too small. I want to do more, immeasurably more. I want to do what you are asking and more. I didn't just send Jesus to redeem the Jews, but the whole world. And I want to be a part of that. Whatever it takes, that's what this girl wants. Thanks for joining me for another episode of There Are Good Things Here. What a marvelous vision this is of living a life with no regrets by simply accepting the call of God to do our part to raise up laborers to see that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, goes to the whole world. There are good things here.